We just heard from the Bible reading, as Cameron read, from Acts chapter 6 going into chapter 7. And it's a large section, a large episode, because by and large, it's a sermon. Now, we're recording this on a Saturday, which means uh, tomorrow you're going to be listening or watching this sermon. And you know me, Reforming Church, when it comes to sermon length. But here's my prayer. I pray that actually we'll let the sermon that Stephen gives in Acts 6 going into 7, in that, that episode, we'll actually let that do the heavy lifting and we'll want to see in this sermon what this means for us as a church today. Because I think by and large it's easy for us to look at this episode and think, well, you know, I don't think I'm going to be giving a sermon myself any particular time soon. Uh, or perhaps even if you are, I don't think I'm going to get stoned for it. I've, I've never felt threatened with stoning at Reforming Church. I've never felt threatened with stoning anywhere. But we still face other pressures and threats. And there's a lot we can learn as learners, as disciples from Acts 6 and 7. Let's pray, we see. Let's pray God shows us Jesus. Our Father in heaven, as we come to this, your word, as you speak to us in your word, we pray, show us Jesus and show it means for us how we know that Jesus is with us and how we may stand up for him even in the face of danger. This is our prayer. This is what we ask. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, you may well know that around the world, the church, the worldwide church, is under pressure. In many parts of the world, that pressure looks like one form of what I call the P's, and that is persecution. We've said this before at Reforming Church, we don't really face that level of persecution here in Australia. We face pressure, peer pressure is the other P, that peer pressure from friends or families is what we face, but not so much persecution. Uh, I own a t-shirt that says, the cross, the message of the cross is illegal in 52 countries. Now, people debate which countries and is it 52 or 44, uh, but we know, whatever the stats, we know that around the world, to be a Christian and the message of the gospel is to be a persecuted person or have a message that is, that is wanted to be stopped. How do we go in the face of danger? How do we stand for Jesus in the face of danger? When it comes to danger, and we've seen this in this series in the book of Acts, it comes in different forms and, and here it is, the real threat of taking life, persecution, starts here for that early church in the book of Acts. We've already seen persecution kind of boiling up. It's, it's, it's come in the first few episodes, we saw there was warnings. Now, the authorities brought the apostles before them and said, stop doing this or else. And then we saw that they warned them again in the next little episode of persecution. And that warning came with a beating. Stop doing this and we'll beat you on the way out the door. And now here we see, as Cameron read, that persecution has become fully fledged. There's a murder. There's a killing. Stephen is stoned. As the church is persecuted back then and today, we see that this is something we come to expect. We expect it of Christians. We expect it of Christianity. We in Australia have enjoyed an anomaly of sorts in not being persecuted. We've enjoyed this in the Western world by and large. But Christianity is always persecuted. We know this from Scripture. We've seen this before in this series. You see, Christianity is cruciform. That means it's cross-shaped. 
It's not couch-shaped. Christianity is not couch form, it's cruciform. And for us, it means we're going to have to ask the question, when we're facing danger, what will that mean for us? Well, I want to dive into the passage and, have, and, and see what's uh, shown us here in God's Word and see what this means for us. We, we see that, firstly, the Jews start disputing with Stephen. They can't engage with him at that level, though, because of his wisdom and the spirit from which he speaks. So what do they do? Classic. You can't win rational arguments. What do they do? Verse 11, they lie. They lie. They lie. They slander. They do not practice the truth. They set up false witnesses, which is very much breaking the law of God. And ironically enough, as they set up false witnesses to break the law of God, they claim Stephen is the one breaking the law of God. So they're saying, oh, Stephen, uh, he's the one that's against Moses. He's the one that's against the temple. But they're actually with all their slander and lies of saying he's breaking the law of God, that's exactly what they're doing. They accuse Stephen, but they've done this before. They falsely accused Jesus, didn't they? And as they accuse, it can't help be noticed. Strangely enough, and and we see this if you go um, to Acts 6, the, the last verse, verse 15, as they accuse him, For all those who saw, and Luke writes down what the eyewitnesses saw, he has the face of an angel. What does an angel's face look like? That's the first thing I thought of when I read this text. He has the face of an angel. What does an angel's face look like? Perhaps I could say that of uh, my little daughter, Chloe. Oh, she's got the face of an angel. Uh, Perhaps um, in my romantic moments, I might say that of Amy. Oh, she's got the face of an angel. What does an angel's face look like? I've actually never seen one, to be honest. And maybe, by and large, many of the people there hadn't seen one, but some of them had. But what does an angel's face look like? Well, I think this is a description of, in other words, someone who's reflecting the glory of God, in a, in a sense. And we know that from Exodus 34, verse 29, when Moses came down from the Mount Sinai, he had two tablets in his arms, that he, his face shone because he'd been talking with God. Perhaps what's going on here is we're actually looking at a man who's been falsely accused, just like Jesus, and is reflecting God's glory, just like Jesus, because as he stands there, he proclaims Jesus. And then chapter 7 is set up for Stephen's sermon because the high priest asks the question, are these things so? And Stephen says, brothers and fathers, hear me, and he starts into his sermon. Now, this is the longest sermon in the book of Acts. Of all the sermons that we have, many of them could be argued uh, are actually sermon summaries or maybe they're full scripts. But here is a full script, long sermon that Stephen never really seems to get to finish because he gets interrupted. But I think what we have here in Luke's account and what Stephen intends is for us to see because the audience that day, the congregation that day, they get the sermon application. They just never let it get to the, the prayer part in that sense, although he does pray. Stephen's sermon is, by and large, a long sermon of biblical history. And by and large, the congregation that day, his audience, would know it. So Stephen starts right at the beginning and he, and he goes through and he actually shows us uh, four or five major characters in the history of the world, in biblical history. He starts with Abraham, and then he speaks of Joseph, then he speaks of Moses... And then he speaks of David and Solomon. 
And as he gives this account, you can't but help think about Luke chapter 24, which we've seen. In Luke 24, Jesus himself says, you want to know what the Bible's all about? It's all about me, Jesus says. And Jesus says in Luke 24 that the, that the, the law and the prophets and the writings of the Psalms are all about him. So the whole Old Testament is actually all about Jesus. That means that if you read the Psalms and you don't get to Jesus, you've not read the Psalms properly. If you read the law and you don't get to Jesus, you've not read the law properly. And and so what what Stephen is doing is actually showing biblical theology he's learned from Jesus, that it's all about Jesus. All the Bible's about Jesus. And he recounts the whole story. Now you can imagine, here before Stephen, as he does this, are people that know this story. So, is it just a boring sermon they already know? Do you know you can know about God? You can know the Bible and not know the author. You you can recount things and know things and know Bible trivia and it doesn't make a difference to actually you knowing God. You see, these people are Bible experts, so to speak, but they don't know who the Bible is about. It's about Jesus. And Stephen makes a couple of points in his sermon, as he says, ultimately, it's all about Jesus. First point is this, he says this, when it comes to Jesus and because of Jesus and because the Bible is all about Jesus, your accusation about me and the temple and you know how, how important the temple is to you, it's never been about the temple. It's never been about the temple. The temple is not about itself. The temple is about God. It's always been about God. The temple has always been a shadow of heaven, a prototype of heaven, a a kind of a, a blueprint of what heaven's kind of like. Isaiah 66 verse 1, Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? If you had heard God's word, religious rulers, you would have got this from the beginning. It's not about the temple. It's about God, which is why he actually points out those few key figures. Abraham, where was the temple when Abraham was around? Didn't have one. Where was God? Was he in a building somewhere? Was he in a tent with Abraham? No, he was with Abraham. Um, Let's go to Joseph. Was there a temple near Joseph's locality? No, he was in Egypt, far away from. But God was with him. Then there's Moses. Moses, of course, has the tabernacle, the law and the tabernacle. But even then, God was with them wherever they went. And then David and Solomon. Was the temple God's idea? Well, in God's sovereignty, he allows all things. But it was David who said, I know God needs a house. And then God says, well, you won't build it for me. Your son will. And Solomon builds the temple. But God has been saying to God's people the whole time, I don't need a house. It's never been about one place in the world, one building, and that's where God dwells. And the second point Stephen makes is this. You've always persecuted God's leaders, Israel. You've persecuted the prophets. You've, you've always wanted to build up works for yourself. You build a temple and build something for yourself, for your relationship with God, and you've never needed to. And then when some prophet has come along and said, actually, this is how you relate to God, by His grace to you, You've always persecuted that prophet. You see, the gospel is not accepted by those who want to work for their salvation and build up with their own hands their salvation. 
I was talking with a, a brother, uh, and, and we were talking about how first, he said, First Corinthians, it's not like that passage in First Corinthians, the gospel is foolishness to those who don't believe. And this foolishness, even for religious rulers who will not accept the gospel, they will not see what the Bible is truly about, who the Bible is about. Well, they can't stand it. They're enraged. We've seen this sort of rage before. We see an outraged culture that sees them, send Stephen out and then stone him. And at the end of this episode, we need to ask ourselves, what's this got to do with us? In the face of danger, how would we stand for Jesus? I mentioned earlier the persecuted church is around the world and we are not the persecuted church here. We pray for them. But for us, we are a church that is often pressured. And in the face of danger, what can we do? We can do what Stephen does. We can focus on Jesus. In the face of danger, look at the face of Jesus. You see, Luke is showing us that even though Stephen is being accused of foregoing and forgetting Moses, it's actually Stephen who has the face of Moses as he reflects the face of Christ. Now, when us, when we're pressured down and pressured in all sorts of ways or plain discouraged, and let me tell you, over recent days and weeks, I have been plain discouraged. But when in the face of discouragement or in the face of trouble, what can we do? We can do what Stephen does. He had no one else, humanly speaking, around him at that time in Luke's account. But he knew he had everyone when he looked into the heavens and he saw Jesus. Look to the face of Jesus. But here's the problem for us reforming church. How? In my discouragement or in my season of isolation and COVID that you and I are sharing and perhaps you're discouraged too, can we look into the sky and see the face of Jesus on our walk outside? There's no guarantee. And the scriptures are not telling us here that's the application, that's what we need to do. So how? How can we focus on Jesus or look to the face of Jesus in, when we face danger? This is how. By going to the Scriptures, the very thing that Stephen does. Stephen goes to the Scriptures to meet God. That's where he sees God. Yes, in his death, as they go to stone him, he sees heaven open, but he has his confidence in the Jesus, the Lord, the God, the Saviour, the one and only who is the author of the Scriptures, who is the author and perfecter, who is the fulfilment of the Scriptures. That's where Stephen goes in the face of danger. He looks in the face of Christ, as seen in the Bible. The Bible is where we meet Jesus. The Scriptures are where we see Him. This is why biblical theology is so important. We need to know our Bibles. We need to know how the Bible's all pointing to Jesus. And that's how we can stand up for Jesus in a pressured world. And what was the fruit of all this? You might look at this and think, think on Stephen's loss. He lost his life. Yes, he gained Christ. But what was the fruit of result of that? You look into chapter 8, well, the, the church is persecuted and it's spread and, and we'll see how that actually can even be used in God's sovereignty, the spread of the church next week. But for now, what was the fruit of it? His sermon was cut off 
It seems by their outrage culture, they, they wouldn't even listen to any more of it. What was the fruit of that? And then he prayed. And as Stephen prays, he prays to God and, and asks that God would not hold this against them. What's the fruit of that? Well, I think if you look in Acts chapter 7, if you look in Acts chapter 7, you'll actually see the fruit of that. You see, Stephen here, as he gives his sermon, as he speaks of Jesus, as people will not listen, there is a man there that is listening. He doesn't want to borrow it at this stage. But soon this man will also come to know Jesus as his Lord and Saviour too. And that man's name is Saul. What will you stand for? Will you stand for Jesus? And when in the face of danger, how? Focus on Jesus the one who gave his life for our salvation, which means if you're like Stephen and you lose or face loss, even lose your life, you don't lose everything because you've got Jesus. So that those looking on can say, how is it that person copes with that loss and keeps going? How is that person could even face the loss of their own life and keep going because of Jesus? So that they too can also trust in Jesus. And have everything also. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we thank you for Jesus. Help us to focus on him when facing danger. Whatever that danger is, whatever that discouragement is, help us to look to Jesus and trust him. So that others may look at us. That they would see reflecting in us, Jesus, and trust him too. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.